Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host, Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you again on another exciting episode of Vitality Radio. I've been working on this one for a while. I put a fair amount of effort in each time that I do a show, but uh, sometimes the rant topic of the day requires a little bit more research, a little bit more thoughtfulness and consideration than other times. Sometimes it just kind of rolls off my tongue. This time I had to be a little more prepared because I think this is a big enough deal that I want to make sure that I get my point across crystal clear. I think you're really going to enjoy the rant. I think it's going to tick you off. I think it should tick you off. And I think that this topic that I'm going to discuss today is perhaps the biggest issue we have in healthcare in America right now, and it needs to stop. So I'm going to rant about that in a significant way very soon. However, I have a few things I want to tell you about that I'm very excited about. One thing that's exciting, like really, really exciting, for me anyway, and maybe it will or won't be for you, I don't know, because there seems to be this mixed bag of how people feel about this. But fermented food, what do you know about it? If you don't know much about it, you probably should learn. If you're a fan of pickles, sauerkraut, kimchi, things like that, maybe kombucha, that's exciting to you because those are all fermented foods. If you believe that probiotics are a big factor in our health, then it should be exciting to you. However, some people, I get it, don't like some of those things. Some people don't like sauerkraut. Some people don't like pickles. I don't understand it. Pickles are like my favorite food. And the fermented ones that aren't actually pickled, but are actually fermented, now that takes it a step beyond. Maybe you've had Bubby's. Bubby's sauerkraut or Bubby's pickles. They're sold in health food stores all over. Some grocery stores even sell them now. They're amazing. Better than any other pickles. Why? Because they're fermented. So what's the difference? Well, you pickle a vegetable like a cucumber or a head of cabbage. You're basically adding vinegar and salt and letting it sit there forever, which is delicious in many cases. I love that stuff. In fact, my mom did this amazing thing that's so simple. <laughs> I loved it so much. And that was just taking fresh cucumbers with apple cider vinegar, throwing them in together in a Tupperware, throwing it in the fridge, and a few hours later, delicious. But that's a shortcut. And it's not really fermented. It's only pickled. When you ferment something, you take the head of cabbage or you take the cucumbers and you put them in a bottle of not much. In the case of pickles, there is a brine that you create. In the case of sauerkraut, the sauerkraut creates the brine. You just cut up the cabbage real small, real thin. And, uh, you put it in a jar or you can do it a few different ways and nature takes its course. It just starts to ferment. Well, guess what? I have been wanting to do this for a long time. It's a big deal because enzymes and probiotics are two of the, the things I'm the most passionate about in nutrition and I think two of the most important things 
that are often missing from our health today in America. And I ran into a guy at last week's Be Healthy Utah event. Now, the Be Healthy Utah was awesome. Shout out to Dr. Watt and his wife for putting together a beautiful setup, great speakers, great information. Absolutely loved it. One of the things that was a little bonus I didn't expect as I wandered around the different booths is to bump into a guy named Jim Sumption. Now, Jim Sumption is one of the most calm, mellow, down-to-earth dudes I've ever met. He came up with this little system, and he'll be the first to tell you that it's not all that unique. There's other systems kind of out there like it, but his is a little unique, and one part about it is totally unique and very cool. But what I loved about Jim is the education. I sat there and talked to him as I sampled his sauerkraut and his kimchi, and he explained to me exactly how to do all this stuff. He's got time-lapse videos. He's got slow-time videos. He's got books that he sells, and he sells this amazing thing called Jim's Jar Top. And he sells it for a whopping 20 bucks. Whoop-de-doo. And so I bought one, and he promised me that I, Jared St. Clair, was capable of making my own sauerkraut and pickles. So that was Saturday. I was going to do it Sunday. Got a little busy. Did it Monday. So they've been percolating, <laughs> fermenting actually, for about a week now, not quite. And he only does his for about five days. He likes it mild. I like it a little more intense, so he suggested maybe three or four weeks. So I still got a couple weeks, but I'm going to tell you what, it looks like it's doing the job. I'm so excited about this. It was so fun and so easy, and my mouth is watering just thinking about it that I decided to go out and uh, meet Jim and get a bunch more of these to sell at Vitality. So I'm selling Jim's Jar Top kit. He's also going to be on Vitality Radio very soon. I am very excited. I will absolutely share with you whether or not I succeeded or failed in my first attempt at fermentation, how I liked it, what I would change and do different next time. Also, just so you know, I brought a couple more Jim's Jar Tops home, and I'm going to ferment some other stuff. Going to make some kimchi and some pickles. Anyway, so yes, fermentation is at Vitality. If you're interested in one of Jim's Jar Tops, they're 20 bucks. I'd love to show you how it works. It's very, very cool and really good for you. Okay, now, more exciting news. I've been talking about this thing with the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. They aren't always on our side. Sometimes they are. Oftentimes, it takes citizens like you and me to go out there and sign petitions and get this stuff done. And we've done it. I just got an update and I'm excited about it. EPA has opened up a comment period about our petition asking for feedback on why we should ban glyphosate as a desiccant on oats. They're spraying it on the last week or so before the harvest and just dumping that poison on our oats and it's terrible, and we want to ban that, the first step in getting rid of glyphosate, otherwise known as Roundup, long-term. And Bridger and I are less than a week away from Washington, D.C. We were chosen one of two health food stores nationwide representing the independent health food stores in America in presenting this petition to EPA at a rally uh, next Thursday, the 23rd of May. So very exciting, awesome stuff. Uh, so there's there's some more news for you. And then I'm going to uh, do things a little bit differently because I've got these exciting announcements. I hope they're exciting to you too. Cool stuff. But uh, I don't do this very often, but occasionally I get a testimonial from somebody 
who I just need to share because it's so exciting. I'm going to do that. Then I'm going to cut to a quick break. Then I'm going to come back with a whale of a rant. If you like my rants, I think you're going to really like this one and you need to hear it because it's important. A guy named Manny, one of the nicest guys I think I've ever met. And uh, he gave me permission to read his private emails to me on the air. He came in to see me a couple of weeks ago and we've had a couple of email exchanges since then. But let me tell you his little backstory quick. And this isn't, of course, in a lot of detail, but his history is basically eight years of chronic stomach pain and discomfort, never knowing when he might eat something that could trigger his next attack. Of course, doctors recommended removal of his gallbladder, which he did, and of course, it didn't solve the problem. After months and years of following the advice of his doctors, being put on multiple drugs for intestinal discomfort, anti-anxiety, and antidepressants, and yet still having very little success in solving his issues, he had been listening to me on Vitality Radio quite a few times and ultimately decided to come in and ask me if natural products might help. Now, he came in and I was just about ready to leave to go take my little ones on a camp out. So he talked to Bridger, my son, and Bridger got him started and then recommended that he come in for a nutritional consult with me. Well, Bridger started him with a few things, but especially... Uh, the key things, just thrive and back on track. Now, I talk about just thrive a lot on Vitality Radio, my absolute favorite probiotic. Talk about back on track, which is my favorite product because it's got the enzymes and an amazing probiotic in it, and it gives people quick results. Well, Manny had only been on this stuff for about five days when he came in for his first visit with me. And after that first visit, he sent me an email. Hi, Jared. I greatly appreciate your help. I feel like I can enjoy life again. This stomach problem has felt like the flu for eight years. I've had the most relaxing week with stomach issues in years. Food is starting to smell good again. I am waking up excited to start the day instead of worrying about how sick I am and uh, what I could possibly eat that day. I will follow your instructions and look forward to our next visit. So he'd been in. Uh, we exchanged one more email talking about some, uh, some other things. And in his second email to me, which was only just about a week later, so we're talking about less than two weeks of trying out natural means to take care of his stomach issues, guess what he said? He says, hi, Jared, I wanted to let you know that I am 100% off of stomach meds, anxiety meds, and depression meds. I am feeling great, and things are mending well. I never thought I could feel good again, or this good again, he said. I was almost to the point of accepting this is the way it is going to be till the end. Now I feel like I have so many things to look forward to. Thanks a bunch. Manny, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share this. This is why I do what I do. It's incredibly exciting to me to hear this kind of stuff. It's just, it's awesome. I mean, it really is. And I absolutely appreciate your time coming to visit me, your trust, and allowing me to share that on the radio. Okay, so I share that in no way to you know, boast about me being able to help people with this stuff. I just want you to know that there are real-life people who turn things around, who don't think it can be turned around when they just give their body what it needed in the first place. Manny wasn't deficient on Prozac. He wasn't deficient on anti-anxiety drugs. He wasn't deficient on Omeprazole. He was deficient in enzymes and probiotics. He had some other things going on. That's what he needed. And when he gave his body what it needed, his body responded in a very, very powerful way. That's why I do Vitality Radio. Thank you, Manny. Okay, it is time 
to deliver this rant. It might take the rest of the show, and if that's the case, that's okay with me. It's time for the morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. All right, what am I ranting about today? This is a big one. The opioid crisis, you've heard of it, you've seen billboards, you've seen headlines. What does it really mean? I'm going to go into some details today. I'm going to talk about what's happening because a lot of stuff is stirring with this crisis right now, and it's all very important. The latest headlines, this is from Vox.com, but it's all over all the major papers and uh, news sites. I just happened to think that the Vox article had a little bit more detail, and I really enjoyed reading it. Written by German Lopez. Uh, what a cool name. Anyway, this is from May 3rd. So this is, uh, you know, as they say on Law & Order, ripped from today's headlines just a couple of weeks ago. First, before we jump into, oh, first off, the headline is Top Executives at Major Opioid Company Found Guilty of Criminal Racketeering. The verdict could send the former executives to prison for years. Let's hope so. But first, let's talk numbers of the opioid crisis. In 2016, healthcare providers across the U.S. wrote more than 214 million prescriptions for opioid pain medication, a rate of 66.5 prescriptions per every 100 people in this country. That was just two years ago. As many as one in five people received prescription opioids long-term for non-cancer pain in primary care settings. That's a problem because opioids are not used for that, at least they shouldn't be. More than 11 million people abused prescription opioids in 2016. 11 million. Every day, more than 1,000 people are treated in emergency departments for misusing prescription opioids. More than 40% of all U.S. opioid overdose deaths in 2016 involved a prescription. Drug overdoses claimed the lives of nearly 64,000 Americans in 2016. Nearly two-thirds of these deaths involved a prescription or illicit opioid. The CDC, that Centers for Disease Control, estimates the total economic burden of prescription opioid misuse in the U.S. at $78.5 billion a year, including the costs of health care lost productivity, addiction treatment, and criminal justice involvement. Since 1999, over 700 thousand overdose deaths have occurred in this country. It is estimated that about two-thirds of these are opioid-related deaths. That means that as a country, we have lost more people to opioids than we lost in the entirety of World War II. Staggering numbers. Staggering. But keep in mind that while we may have lost close to 500,000 people so far, The collateral damage for every one of those deaths, there's a ripple effect that cannot be measured. The emotional loss for a family or loved one who loses someone to an overdose is staggering, 
not to mention those we don't lose, who suffer through addiction for years, sometimes decades, sometimes never shaking free of it, ruining families, ruining lives, losing jobs, losing so much more. You can't measure the cost of this. It's impossible. So now, what is happening to these drug companies, and are the drug companies even at fault? Who is at fault? Why did 64,000 people in 2016 in America die from opioids? Why? Okay, so back to that article. The article headline again, top executives at major opioid company found guilty of criminal racketeering. Executives at a major opioid company called Insys Therapeutics were found guilty by a federal jury on May 2nd for, among other misdeeds, bribing doctors to prescribe their fentanyl-based painkiller in another sign that the federal government and the public are increasingly ready to hold individuals and companies responsible for their role in the nationwide opioid epidemic. The verdict includes the company's founder, John Kapoor, as well as four other executives, including Sunrise Lee, former regional sales manager. The executives were found guilty of criminal racketeering. In case you're wondering what racketeering is, according to findlaw.com, it is defined like this. Racketeering is when organized groups run illegal businesses known as rackets, or when an organized crime ring uses legitimate organizations to embezzle funds. Such activities can have devastating consequences for both public and private institutions. So when people like me call Big Pharma a racket, that's exactly what we're referring to. Also, did you catch the name of one of those executives, Sunrise Lee? If that sounds like a stripper name to you, you're not judging. It is. Among the evidence against her and Insys is an eyewitness account of Sunrise Lee taking a doctor and his friends to a strip club, feeding them, and then giving him a lap dance. I'm not making this up. This actually happened. Miss Lee had no previous pharmaceutical or significant sales experience when she was hired as a quote-unquote closer for INSYS. Throughout the trial, prosecutors detailed INSYS's other far-reaching efforts to sell as much of its potent opioid painkiller, Subsys, as possible, beyond its approved use for just cancer pain. In other words, they were promoting it off-label for uses other than what FDA had approved it for. According to the New York Times, prosecutors accused the company of paying off doctors for fake educational talks so they could prescribe the drug widely. It also misled and lied to insurance companies so they would pay for the medication. After 15 days of deliberation, a federal jury found all five executives guilty. The charges included the potential for prison time. I hope so. It's not the first time an opioid company has been found guilty of criminal charges. In 2007, now we're talking 12 years ago, right? Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin, and three of its top executives paid more than $630 million in federal fines for misleading marketing. The three executives were also criminally convicted, each sentenced to three years probation and 400 hours of community service. Sounds like a slap on the wrist. And maybe it doesn't to you. Maybe $630 million seems severe. But they aren't. This is absolutely a slap on the wrist. This isn't severe. It's not even close to severe. So this is what they paid. Three people. 
$630 million in federal fines, criminally convicted to three years of probation, which is basically meaningless, and 400 hours of community service. The Wall Street Journal reported that between 2008 and 2016, the Sackler family, who are the people from Purdue Pharma, took home more than $4 billion from sales of OxyContin. Between them, they will do 1,200 hours of community service. So when you subtract their fines from their profits, that means they essentially earned $2,808,333 per hour of community service. That's called not even a slap on the wrist. That's basically saying, you know what? You got caught. It's okay. You made a mistake. We're going to still let you keep almost all your money, no matter how many people you killed. That's not as severe as a slap on the wrist, is it? Last month, federal prosecutors criminally charged a major drug distributor, Rochester Drug Cooperative, for its role in perpetuating the opioid crisis. And this week, another drug distributor, the McKesson Corporation, reached a $37 million settlement with West Virginia in an opioid lawsuit. The recent verdict against INSIS and charges against Rochester are part of a broader effort to hold the pharmaceutical companies accountable in the form of lawsuits, fines, and charges for their involvement in today's drug overdose crisis, which is the deadliest in U.S. history. Remember, it's claimed almost as many, well, probably a little more lives than did the entirety of World War II in terms of American lives. It's insane when you think about it. It's a huge, huge number. Hundreds of lawsuits have now been filed against the companies. Several states are suing individually, and Oklahoma recently landed another legal settlement with Purdue. A separate collection of about 1,600 lawsuits, largely from various levels of government, has been consolidated by a federal judge in Cleveland in an attempt to reach a landmark legal resolution to the opioid epidemic. The successful trial against INSIS suggests that courts and juries are ready to punish the companies involved. Since 1999, more than 700,000 people in the U.S. have died of drug overdoses, mostly driven by an increase in opioid-related deaths. The hope of the legal action against opioid makers and producers is not just to hold them accountable, which alone could help deter drug companies from misbehaving in the future, but also to get funds whether through fines or other legal payouts that could be used to pay for addiction treatment. Addiction treatment is notoriously underfunded in the U.S., with experts in recent years calling on the federal government to invest tens of billions of dollars in building up treatment infrastructure. A study from the White House Council of Economic Advisors linked a year of the opioid crisis to $500 billion in economic losses. We're not talking just human life. We're not talking just human suffering, but massive amounts of money. And we talk about the healthcare crisis in America, whatever that even means, where not everybody has equal access to, you know, healthcare, right? Whatever, I don't even know what that means because it's all just government talk. We talk about Medicare. We talk about Medicaid. We talk about health insurance and HMOs. We talk about all these things and how awful it all is and how everybody should have it. Or maybe everybody shouldn't have it. Maybe it's a right. Maybe it's a privilege. Whatever. Maybe the government's going to fine you if you don't buy it, right? There's all these things that we talk about. But how about saving $500 billion a year by not allowing these drug companies to do what they're doing, killing Americans on a regular basis knowingly with their drugs, and that's just talking about opiates. 
A $37 million settlement is just a drop in the bucket, the article says, as are the fines and settlements that other companies, including Insys, are paying. But since companies like Purdue, Rochester, McKesson, and Insys helped cause and perpetuate the opioid crisis, advocates argue that they should at least help pay for the consequences of the epidemic. Couldn't agree more. But let's dissect that for a minute. First, yes, we need more help with addiction in this country. Everything from money to a new viewpoint of addiction. On average, six of seven opioid addicts come to it by accident. What does that mean? They started with a prescription from a doctor and took the recommended dose. These are people just like me and you. And let me tell you my story. I'd never used an opiate at any time in my life. In fact, I was pretty, well, relatively young and uh, inexperienced with these things. This is long before Vitality Radio. This is probably going back almost 20 years. I had a horrible case of bronchitis. I'd never had bronchitis before. And this was a bad one. I mean, I took the herbs that I knew how to take. I took the vitamin C. I took those things. And I still couldn't seem to shake it. It, it had me in its grasp. I was coughing so hard that I popped a couple of rib tips out. If you've never done that, don't. It hurts really, really bad. I couldn't sleep at night. And when you can't sleep, it's really hard to get better from bronchitis. It's really painful when you pop your ribs out of place. So me, the guy who really tries not to run to the doctor every time he needs something, I got desperate. I went to the Instacare. I go to the Instacare. I talk to this guy for five minutes, maybe. He asks me what's going on. I tell him what's going on. He says, I got a cough syrup for you. He prescribes the cough syrup. He gives me about 10 days worth of this cough syrup. He does not tell me what's in the cough syrup. He says, this will help you sleep and it'll help ease the pain and that tickle in your throat that you're noticing that keeps making you cough. Hopefully you'll be able to sleep and you'll knock this thing in a few days. That's about it. When I got home, I researched it and realized what I had was hydrocodone with acetaminophen. So that's, you know, codeine basically, an opiate, and Tylenol. I didn't want to take it, but I'd gone three sleepless nights and I was in a lot of pain. And I didn't know that much about opiates at the time. I did know that they could be addictive. I'd read about that and that was about it. But I thought, you know what? I don't do drugs ever. I'm going to use this for a couple of days and then I'm going to be done with it. So it was a liquid, which made it a lot easier to potentially overdose, right? I could mismeasure that serving cup or whatever you want to call it very easily. It was effective, man. I took it the first time. I think it was four or five in the afternoon. I eased back in my recliner, put a blanket on because I was cold. I remember this pretty clearly, even though it's 20 years ago, and I passed out. I slept and slept and slept. My wife didn't bug me. Kids didn't bug me. I got a phone call from my good buddy, Will, who at the time we worked together. And that woke me up. And I picked up my phone and I uh, started talking to him and he started laughing. He said, man, you're not making any sense. What's wrong with you? I said, man, I don't know. I took this cough syrup. I can't even think. I don't remember what the rest of the conversation was like, but I remember waking up another few hours later and realizing that I had slept almost 24 hours and I still felt drugged. 
I was apparently a lightweight. But I also remember thinking, man, that was awesome. I slept like I've never slept before. All my worries went away. I wasn't coughing anymore. And I thought to myself, no wonder people get addicted to this stuff. Very, very interesting. That feeling of escape that can happen with this stuff. It's no wonder it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. It's really tempting. And it captures a lot of really good people like you and me. You probably know somebody. I know several. I had three different people who've worked for me at Vitality, who've had opiate addiction. No, four who've had opiate addictions that I know of. It's crazy stuff. It's happening all over the place, and it's a big deal. And I understand 100% how it could happen to me. You've got to be careful as a consumer for sure. Okay, so there's a clear history as to why this is a problem in our country. The opioid epidemic, this is from that article from Vox.com again. The opioid epidemic can be understood in three waves. In the first wave, starting in the late 1990s and early 2000s, doctors prescribed a lot of opioid painkillers. That caused the drugs to proliferate to widespread misuse and addiction. Among just not just patients, but also friends and family of patients, teens who took the drugs from their parents' medicine cabinets, and people who bought excess pills from the black market. A second wave of drug overdoses took off in the 2000s and when heroin flooded the illicit market. As drug dealers and traffickers took advantage of a new population of people who used opioids but had either lost access to painkillers or simply sought a better, cheaper high. And in recent years, the U.S. has seen a third wave as illicit fentanyls offer an even more potent, cheaper, and deadlier alternative to heroin. It's the first wave that really kicked off the opioid crisis and where opioid makers and distributors come in. Manufacturers of the drugs misleadingly marketed opioid painkillers as safe and effective with multiple studies tying the marketing and proliferation of opioids to misuse, addiction, and overdoses. Opioid makers like Purdue Pharma, Indo, Teva, and Insys are all accused of playing a role here. As a group of public health experts explained in the annual review of public health, the companies exaggerated the benefits and safety of their products, supported advocacy groups and quote-unquote education campaigns that encouraged widespread use of opioids and lobbied lawmakers to loosen access to the drugs. An Indo-sponsored website called painknowledge.com, doesn't sound like it's a drug company site, does it? in 2009 claimed that people who take opioids as prescribed usually do not become addicted. Janssen approved and distributed a patient education guide in 2009 that attempted to counter the myth that opioids are addictive, claiming that many studies show that opioids are rarely addictive when used properly for the management of chronic pain. That was 10 years after this crisis began. They were still lying. Purdue sponsored a publication from the American Pain Foundation, which was heavily funded by opioid companies, claiming that the risk of addiction is less than 1% among children prescribed opioids, suggesting pain is undertreated and opioids are necessary. Did you hear the name of that foundation, the American Pain Foundation? It's a bunch of garbage. It's just a front group for the opioid companies. 
As a result, opioid sales grew and so did addiction and overdoses. Insys arrived somewhat late in the game with Subsys coming to the market in just 2012. In this way, it benefited from the previous misconduct of opioid companies that had done a lot of the groundwork for them. It's not just that opioids are deadly, they also aren't anywhere near as effective for chronic non-cancer pain as the companies claimed. There's only very weak scientific evidence that opioid painkillers can effectively treat long-term chronic pain, as patients grow tolerant of opioids' effects. But there's plenty of evidence that prolonged use can result in very bad complications, including the higher risk of addiction, overdose, and death. In short, the risks and downsides outweigh the benefits for almost all chronic pain patients. With drug overdoses now tied to tens of thousands of deaths each year, different levels of government as well as private groups and individuals are now trying to hold pharmaceutical companies to account for the opioid crisis. That's why Thursday's news of the verdict against NCIS's executives is a big deal. It shows that the broader effort to hold these companies accountable really may work. Okay, that's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story as far as I'm concerned. It's about time that we hold them accountable, absolutely, but unfortunately, it's also way too late for hundreds of thousands of people and millions of people who've been touched by opioid addiction. The fines will never be enough. Community service hours will never be enough. Even jail time will never be enough. With all this evidence, it is easy to point the finger at Big Pharma. But one thing about this whole issue just nags at me over and over again. Who allowed this to happen in the first place? And why aren't they being held responsible? FDA is ultimately responsible for this because they, along with the FCC, allowed all this to happen in the first place. The FCC allows the misleading advertising. These ridiculous websites, painknowledge.com and the American Pain Foundation, front groups for big pharma. FDA just allows it to happen. They know it's happening. I've been talking about this for years on Vitality Radio, and this is barely happening, and it's going on 20 years before that. The commissioners who were at the helm of FDA and FCC should be held responsible for this. They should be doing prison time, as should anyone who turned a blind eye to this issue in Congress, or worse, accepted money from these pharmaceutical companies while looking their constituents in the eye and telling them that they would fight for America. Remember, this issue is massive, and it continues to this day. The finger can be pointed in almost every direction. The doctor at the Instacare prescribing enough opiates for me for 10 days, not telling me what they were or how dangerous they were, and giving me absolutely no cautionary words at all. The doctor at the VA who gave one of my clients 120 opiate pills a month, even though he told the doctor multiple times that he only used them on occasion. Where do all those extra opioid pills go? He said he just had them in his medicine cabinet. What do addicts do? They rummage through other people's medicine cabinets looking for these types of pills. Big Pharma for lying to those docs and to us saying that opiates were safe and effective for long-term chronic pain when they knew damn well that they were neither of these things. Distributors who watch the cash flow and the pills flow out in numbers too large to be anywhere close to reasonable. FDA for sleeping comfortably in bed with those big pharma companies rather than kicking them out of that cozy bed they snuggle in and taking away their freedom to abuse their customers in unforgivable ways. 
And yet here we are, an estimated 500,000 people dead since 1999. Numbers still climbing, and most Americans still believe that FDA is protecting our health, that pharmaceutical companies produce drugs and vaccines for the good of the public rather than for corporate greed and mostly well-meaning doctors taking their education from those same sources and then becoming pawns in the game. That's my rant for today. I'm going to come back in a minute and I'm going to talk to you about things that can be done for chronic pain. Because just like Manny, who I spoke about earlier, who was struggling with stomach pain and ended up on antidepressants, anti-anxiety drugs, and stomach drugs, none of which helped him all that much, found natural sources of relief. There are natural sources of relief for you. I'll tell a couple of stories. I'll tell you what you can do if you or a loved one has chronic pain and want to avoid opiates, which you absolutely should if you possibly can. That's what we'll do when we come back. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blogger online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is we don't just sell supplements. We consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. All righty, welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm your host, Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. The rant got a little heated there, and I think that's okay because I'm a little fired up about this whole opioid crisis. And while I do love to rant, and I do love to get this stuff off my chest and make you aware of the things that I know and that I see and that I research every week for Vitality Radio, I prefer the opportunity to educate you on the alternatives to this garbage that's being shoved down our throats by the government and by pharmaceutical companies on a regular basis. So let's talk about alternatives. Remember that opiates by and large, are really only good for end-of-life care. Cancer pain, in many cases, and a few other things that it's actually been, they've actually been proven to work for. In short-term, acute pain, they actually work really well. 
That's why docs will send them home, send you home with bronchitis, or your dentist might send you home if you've got an abscessed tooth or something with an opiate. And while it's unfortunate, but true, even acute cases, people like me who bring home that cough syrup have the opportunity to get addicted very, very quickly. It can happen in just a single dose. It's much more common with chronic pain. And this is where opioids have failed us miserably and have cost so many lives, is when somebody has chronic pain, you know, that bursitis in their shoulder, that arthritis in their knees and hips, back pain from an injury, these types of things, opioids are prescribed and given long-term, which they never should be in those cases, and yet it happens all the time, even to this day. So what can you do if you've got chronic long-term pain? There's actually a few things you can do. First off, pain and inflammation are besties, right? We don't gen generally have pain without inflammation. We can certainly have inflammation without pain, but not so much the opposite way around. You've heard of turmeric. I want to clear the air on a couple of things here. Turmeric is not all the same. The root itself is very difficult for the human body to digest when it's ground into a powder and put into a pill. You've heard perhaps, that turmeric is best absorbed if used with black pepper extract. There's partial truth in that statement. You can use turmeric in a capsule with some black pepper extract. It'll increase the absorption by maybe 30 or 40%. That's great, but the absorption stinks. So increasing it by 30 to 40%, still not that useful. There's a company in India who makes a product called BCM95. It is real turmeric in a way that nobody else is doing it, and I am 100% convinced, until somebody can prove me otherwise, that it is the best form on the market. I absolutely love it. It's turmeric, where they preserved the volatile oils in the product. It has the turmerones, as well as the curcumin, and it works. It's called Curamed, and I believe it's the best turmeric out there for chronic inflammation. It's absolutely fantastic great natural pain relief. If you struggle with gut pain, stomach pain, in, uh, intestinal pain, or back pain, or if you struggle with things like bronchitis, pneumonia, those types of things, Boswellia, also known as frankincense, but Boswellia specifically is extremely good for these things because it actually works on a different enzyme pathway than what turmeric does. And it is very, very effective for these types of issues. What if you deal with joint pain specifically? You've got a bad knee or knees. You've got a bad shoulder or hip, fingers that are turning outward and things like that. There is something that I discovered maybe five years ago at a trade show, and I was really compelled by the evidence they presented to me in two human trials that they'd done on specifically knee arthritis. Super compelled. So I brought it in and I started recommending it. And the more I recommended it, the more people came back and said, oh my gosh, this stuff is amazing. It's called Baxel. And in their human trials, they show an 84%, 84% of the people who take it notice a significant difference in pain and a significant difference in mobility in just 30 days or less. Even comes with a 100% guarantee, and I'm telling you, this stuff is amazing. It's also fantastic for your horse or for your dog who's got arthritis. I've had excellent feedback from so many people 
saying those same things. And what I love about it is it gets ahead of the pain and inflammation because this acts as a lubricant and cushion for the joints, which helps to prevent the joints from further breakdown, which helps with the pain and inflammation before they start because if you're lubricating and cushioning the joint, like the joint naturally had going on when it was younger, then you don't get to the point of inflammation and pain and you're much less likely to have a further degeneration of that joint. Really, really amazing stuff. Baxel, absolutely love it. And the last thing I want to talk about, and I want to clear the air on this a little bit too, and you're going to hear a lot about this in the upcoming weeks because this is a big topic. Everybody's talking about it, and I've got a couple of experts coming on Vitality Radio. They're already lined up to talk to you about CBD. I haven't had Stuart on the radio for a long time. I'm going to have him on in a couple of weeks possibly actually this coming week. And then I've got my old buddy Max Willis, who we've already recorded a show actually, uh, that we're going to play here very soon as well. So some really, really good stuff about CBD. But what's the deal with CBD? First, I want to tell you, there's a lot of CBD on the market. Everybody and their brother seems to be coming out with it, and we do have to be careful. This isn't as easy as just extracting stuff from a plant. There are a lot of processes that you can use to extract CBD. There's a lot of different types of hemp you can use to extract CBD from. It can be done wrong, and it is often done wrong. And there is more CBD on the market, in my opinion, that is not of a high quality than there is that is of a high quality. And that's a pretty big deal because CBD can come from marijuana, the same stuff that people would smoke to get high, it can come from the same stuff that would be used for medical purposes. It can also come from hemp, the kind that's grown to make t-shirts and rope. The good stuff, in my opinion, the stuff you want, the stuff that is from that type of plant, that hemp plant that is not the kind that we smoke to get high. The reason I like it best is because A, it's very hard to get too much THC. It won't make you high. Now, if you're looking for hemp to make you high, then you want marijuana, and that's a different story. But if we're talking about pain relief naturally, safely, effectively, and legally in Utah, over-the-counter, this is what you want. So I've researched. I've searched high and low. There are very, very few CBD companies on the market that I actually trust. The one that I trust most is CV Sciences, and there's a new kid on the block I'll talk about in the next couple of weeks that I'm also really, really fond of that we'll be bringing into Vitality. But this is the biggest thing I want to tell you. CBD, I've seen it firsthand with clients of mine get people off of opiates, off of opiates onto something that is non-addictive, that is legal, that is safe, that you won't overdose on, you really can't overdose on, and it actually works. I've seen people get out of pain with CBD. It happens. People don't get out of pain with opiates in long-term use. In fact, they work less and less well the more you take them for the majority of people who take them. So if you want good stuff, get CBD and give it a try. Experiment with the dose. You can play with it quite a bit. You can use it with turmeric. I highly recommend that. I've had great success. Or with Baxel, I highly recommend that. I've had great success there as well. But use it and be willing to experiment with it for an extended period of time to see what it can do for you because it can be very effective. But you have to find 
the right number in terms of milligrams. You've got to find what time of day to take it or if you need it multiple times a day. And you've got to make sure you get a good quality before you try something that isn't good quality and then say, huh, that didn't work. So there are lots of alternatives for pain. Opiates, in my opinion, should be used with extreme caution. Doctors should recommend them very cautiously. And it's just not happening still today. We're losing people on a daily basis. A thousand people a day are new people with opiate addiction being admitted to emergency rooms because of overdoses. 65,000 people a year dying. The opioid crisis is real and it is impacting each and every one of us in every possible way. So please be careful. Keep an eye on your friends and loved ones because they could be addicted right now. And if you're addicted, go get help. Thanks for listening to me. If you like what you hear, go tell somebody. Let's build this audience of informed people looking to take charge of their own health and gain their own personal vitality. My name's Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.